When Josh Hicks co-founded the meal kit delivery service Plated in 2012, the idea of buying food on the internet and getting it delivered through mail and arriving fresh was still quite new. Yet Hicks and his co-founder Nick Toronto were on a mission to transform the way America eats, leveraging data and technology to make it easy for people to cook delicious meals at home. With creative recipes pioneered by Lake Cordon Bleu trained chef Alana Karp, the company rapidly scaled, landing a deal on Shark Tank in 2014 and getting acquired for $300 million by Albertsons in 2017. We sat down with Josh to hear an exclusive take on his founder's story, along with his thoughts on the state of innovation in the food industry and what's next on his plate. We are here today with Ivy, and we are interviewing Josh Hicks, the CEO and co-founder of Plated. Josh, we're so happy to have you. Thanks. All right. Um, so tell us about growing up. Uh, what got you to take the entrepreneurial journey? Ah, <laughs> starting early. Uh, I, I grew up in a military family, so we moved every year, just about. So kindergarten through 12th grade, I went to 12 different schools. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but I definitely you know, had to learn to try new things, make new friends, talk to lots of people. Um, probably a, a, a good part of the, the entrepreneurial kind of mix. Uh, I also had an engineer for a mother, so you know, did a lot of math problems and uh, was building stuff and watching her build stuff and take stuff apart from you know, as far back as I can remember, uh, which certainly, certainly helped. I think gave me that curiosity and the desire to build things and understand how stuff works and a lot of things that I think are pretty critical and you know starting something new. Uh, there's lots of different kinds of entrepreneurship, but the sort of stuff I've done has required you know really kind of hands-on figuring out how stuff works and and building new things from the ground up. Great. Um, you went to Harvard Business School. Um, why did you choose to go there, and how did it shape your journey as an entrepreneur? Yeah, so I went to I went to college for engineering, and learned learned a ton. It was a great way to to look at the world and and you know have a certain way of solving problems. Uh, and then I started a company after that. It was a very technical software company, and and learned a ton there. And had a was fortunate enough to have a lot of great mentors. Uh, but after you know five years of running that small software business, I was ready to go do something bigger, or I thought I was, I was excited to try. And part of that was business school. You know, I, I didn't really know anything about the other parts of, of running a business. We were a small software company uh, and I was writing a lot of the software. So I knew a fair amount about the engineering uh, and a little bit about some of the accounting and uh, you know, people management and some of the other kind of disciplines in general management, but we were small and I needed a lot of help and I was excited to try something new. So was fortunate enough to get into HBS, uh, and off I went, and I'm super happy I did it. You know, it really was uh, people, it's sort of cliche and people say it, but it's true. It was a transformative experience. You know, I was exposed to people that I never would have met if I hadn't done it. You know, both uh, from a nationality standpoint, you know, it's a very global school, uh, and from a background standpoint, people that were doing super interesting things, whether it was nonprofits or, you know, working on Wall Street or, lots of other backgrounds that I just wasn't exposed to. So learned a lot, made a lot of good friends. And I think, you know, all of that were, all of those pieces were, were kind of you know, important puzzle pieces down the road when Nick and I got together to start Plated. Uh, and I guess, you know, 
can't forget that either. I met my co-founder there, which is obviously a, a critical part of it. He's my you know, business partner and uh, in a lot of ways life partner for you know, years and years and years. Uh, what was your favorite aspect of HBS? That's tough. Uh, the people, you know, um, both the professors, some of whom I'm still close with, but you know, probably more importantly or as importantly, our, our classmates. You know, a lot of them are, uh, you know, like now best friends, friends for life. My co-founder, you know, that's a, a special kind of role. Uh, so, you know, that network, both from a professional standpoint, you know, starting the business together, uh, having lots of people to talk to for advice and so on, uh, but also just personally, you know, it's, uh, I think entrepreneurship, like, you know, like anything, but Entrepreneurship is a, a journey of sort of self-discovery as much as anything and learning to manage yourself and having people to help on the down days, which there are plenty of, is super important. Great. Um, so tell us a little bit about the evolution of Plated and the initial days as you started it. Sure. So my co-founder Nick and I uh, had known each other for four years at that point. You know, we were good friends, which I think was a, a critical part of the the foundation and we're passionate about you know health and wellness that was the the first sort of insight was that we wanted to work on something that we thought would have a, a positive impact on lots of people uh, and in a specific you know kind of way and helping them be healthier and happier so we kind of looked at food as a critical part of being happier and healthier uh, and we had you know a, a problem that we thought that a lot of other people had and you know talked to some friends and then started doing some testing online and you know kind of built conviction that lots of other folks had the same issue which was you know we come home and both of us were working you know other jobs at that point but long hours and want to cook uh, or at least eat healthier and just didn't really have a great way to do that you know takeout is is nice every once in a while but every night gets old and it's certainly not very healthy and you don't really know what's in the food uh, and, you know, all the other sort of options, whether it's frozen food or, you know, other, other options just weren't very good. Either they didn't taste very good or they weren't very healthy. And when we tried to cook, both of us were pretty bad at it. Uh, and I think not impressing the people we were cooking for. Uh, and then also, you know, had tons of excess food at the end of the week. You know, you kind of cook half of it and you end up throwing a bunch of it away. Um, it also would take you know, a long time, right? By the time you sort of figure out what you're trying to make and go to the grocery store. And in New York, you know, the grocery stores are uh, <laughs> a particular kind of you know, torture. It's crowded. The lines are you know, oftentimes uh, like a full contact sport. So it was just, you know, it wasn't a very good experience. And we looked at the industry and said, you know what? Like, this is one of the biggest industries in the world, food, right? Everybody who's able to is eating multiple times a day. And there hasn't been a lot of technology applied. There's nothing really new in the industry for decades. And you sort of think about the state of innovation inside of a grocery store, and it looks the same as it did you know, decades ago. So we thought you know, there was a lot of opportunity to, to just make it better overall, more efficient, better for people, more accessible, you know, and so on. So we got started the summer of 2012, you know, just two guys and a couple of laptops and a bunch of student debt. So, you know, we had sort of negative money and no real idea what we were doing. We know a little bit about the software and a little bit about operations and then nothing about food or, you know, you know building huge teams of people. Neither of us had ever managed, you know, 
that you know, this sort of size of a team, uh, and we had to kind of just figure it all out along the way. Yeah, a lot of trial and error, I'm, sh I'm sure. I always say plated is like training reels for people who are trying to learn how to cook, so I'm one of them. <laughs> um, give me an example of when you sort of had this, holy crap, uh, things are working, aha moment. Yeah. I don't, I think we had a lot of aha moments. You know, I've always, I've, I've always thought that it's sort of a, you know, a myth that there's just one. So when we got started, you know, we had a different brand. Uh, we, we couldn't afford to buy the plated domain. You know, we didn't have any, neither of us are, you know, graphic artists or have any real artistic talent. So, you know, we didn't have the name, we didn't have the logo. You know, we just wanted to first get going and figure out if this crazy thing, you know, worked at all. If, if anybody would buy it, right? Could we get people that weren't our friends and family to buy, you know, food on the internet and have it delivered through the mail, which still sounds a, a little crazy. It sounded really crazy five and a half years ago. And, and then could we make it work? You know, could we deliver the food and have it be fresh and so on? So we stood up a, a throwaway brand, put up a you know, basic web page, and then started trying to get people to buy it. And I think along the way, we had a bunch of, you know, aha moments. So the, the, the first one was when our first customer who wasn't, you know, didn't have one of our last names bought from us, which was super exciting. Uh, and I think lasted all of 30 seconds before we kind of realized, you know, oh crap, now we have to figure out how to actually ship this person, you know, a product that they'll be excited about. <laughs> That's great. Um, so walk me through sort of, your evolution as a CEO, um, you know, obviously from your day-to-day -day standpoint, I'm sure that changed drastically from year one to year three to now five, six almost. Tell me a little bit more. Sure. So I think being being the CEO of a high-growth company is uh, it's an incredibly rewarding, but also you know, completely all-encompassing, all-engrossing experience. Uh, especially doing it for the first time. You know, so we started out, we were both, you know, in our 20s, uh, had never managed large groups of people, uh, and had to learn everything from scratch. And I think, you know, happy for the, the tools and the knowledge that we got from business school, but there's nothing like doing it in practice. It's like describing to you how to, you know, kick a soccer ball or a ski. Uh, you can know that, but it's not the same as doing it. And so as we got going, you know, first off, in the very early days, on day one, it was just the two of us doing everything. So we were answering the customer service emails and keeping the books and writing the software and packing boxes and taking out the trash. And then as we grew, you know, we went through many different phases. You know, we, we often say in the office that you know, it's a new company every six months. And you know, thinking about it that way, in some ways gave us the, the sort of freedom to actually change stuff as fast as we needed to. And we certainly got it wrong lots and lots of times, but you know whether it was changing titles, uh, which we eventually did because we, we managed the business together for a long time, or changing the org structure, uh, or bringing in you know big experienced executives to to help, um, you know all of those and, and lots of other things were big big decisions that you know that really kind of made the success along the way. And I think in a lot of ways we're we're sort of the you know, the, the lucky ones to, to get to work with these, you know, very experienced execs uh, and provide the vision 
and then have a strong team that helps execute it because you know no no two inexperienced guys could ever you know build something big uh, without you know a ton of help so i think it's really you know the sort of journey of of running the business has been kind of figuring out what what i'm good at or at least you know relatively better at uh, where we need help where you know how to you know recruit and excite people that you know are decades older and have lots of uh, oftentimes intimidating experience um, and figuring out how to just you know build teams that are capable of running you know multi hundred million dollar organizations uh, having never done it before which is a, a, a scary thing on a lot of days yeah so uh, talk to me a little bit about fundraising. Obviously, you've uh, had a lot of success in fundraising. What was the hardest aspect of it? Was it the beginning? Was it you know a couple of years further when you need to raise more money? Sort of talk to me a little bit about that process. Fundraising is, is a necessary evil for building a, a venture-backed business. You know, I think, I think it gets celebrated too much and celebrated in the wrong ways. It's it's exciting when somebody believes in your vision enough to invest in you and you know give you their hard-earned money to, to manage. Uh, but at the same time, you're selling part of the business. You know, you're giving up some control, uh, and you're taking on a, a huge responsibility. So it's not, you know, it's not uh, it's not the goal, uh, and I think it gets celebrated that way a, a lot of times. Um, in terms of actually going out and doing it, you know, it's like anything else; it's a skill. Uh, and it's something that you have to practice to get good at. We were really, really bad at it in the beginning. You know, I don't think we knew what people were really looking for. We didn't, you know, understand necessarily why when people said no. Uh, and, we, and I don't think we really understood that most of the time people are going to say no. Um, and that a lot of the times it's not even, you know, it's not because of you or your idea or your business. Um, you know, it just doesn't fit in their portfolio or... You know, they've got another competitive investment or there's lots of reasons that you know investors say no and we had to you know just build that build that skill kind of exercise that muscle and then also I like dating <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's often compared to, to, to dating uh, it's, a, it's a you know common analogy um, although hopefully uh, hopefully no one is dating as much as we had to pitch you know investors and you know, we got 200 no's before our first yes uh, which is really just, it's sales at the end of the day. You know, it's no different than, than selling anything else. Uh, but it's hard not to take it personally. You know, when you get told no over and over and over, just day in and day out. Uh, and it is something you have to learn to, to man, you know, managing yourself is the hardest thing in that process, I think. Uh, and, and not losing, you know, faith. Um, but also not completely rejecting the, the criticisms you're getting. Because, you know, there are lots of valid concerns and, if you do it well, you can take those those concerns and the thoughts that people give you, you know, smart people, uh, and incorporate them into the business model and make it better. But it's easier said than done. Sure, yeah. Have you found moments where uh, you almost sort of had this self-doubt and felt like you had to totally change your whole <laughs> business model because someone told you some obscure thing that they thought or anything like that? I think that probably happened every other day. <laughs> And I think one of the, the you know, beautiful things about having a co-founder is that for whatever reason, most of the time when I was having that, you know, kind of crisis of confidence, he'd be having a good day and vice versa. So, you know, I'd wake up with those sorts of doubts every other day. And thankfully, it just was on the alternating days from him. 
so, you know, most mornings we you know, sort of meet at the coffee shop and get excited to go, you know, pitch some more investors. Uh, and you have to really, you know, kind of bring each other up because you have to be excited. You're, you know, you're selling something that you are excited about, even if you're dreading the next no. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, let's talk a little bit about sort of that dark hour. When you look at plated in the past, you know, five, six years, what has been like the darkest hour when you've been like, holy crap, I'm on my, you know, bathroom floor, ready to give up. What, it, like, what was that? Why was that? And how did you get out of it? What drove you to get out of that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, it's a common theme. You know, you, you, you have a lot of challenges and especially doing it for the first time. And I've, I've built other businesses, but they were much smaller. So, you know, in a lot of ways, this, it feels like, you know, felt like the first time. You just don't have a lot of context. You know, you've never been through these things before. And it can feel very lonely. It's another reason I think having a, you know, a co-founder is, is very, very helpful just for the emotional support and somebody to bounce ideas off in a, you know, a truly, you know, sort of open and honest way because you can't be the same kind of, you know, direct and, and candid with, you know, anyone else really. So I think you have a lot of those moments and the, the real, you know, I think kind of lesson is in, in figuring out how to manage yourself through them because people are looking to you. You're, you're leading a team, whether it's 10 people or a thousand, and they'll pick up on the negativity and you, know, you, you, you really have to just be careful and, and figure out how to, how to manage yourself. So we had a lot of those moments. I think probably the worst one was about a year and a half into the business. We were out raising our second round of uh, venture capital money. And you know, we got a, a, an offer basically, a term sheet from uh, an investor that a lot of people told us you know, they weren't so sure about. Um, and we you know, chose to not listen to that advice and went, you know, went forward with these investors and spent a bunch of time. We spent probably three months with them uh, and only had about four weeks worth of cash left at that point. And they woke up one day and decided they had changed their minds for no reason that was, you know, particularly obvious to us, uh, and we're walking away. So that was the the end of that was holiday season 2013. Uh, you know, so December 1st, we've got till the end of the year before we're going to miss payroll uh, and and not be able to ship, you know, recipes to people anymore because there's not enough money in the bank to keep buying from our suppliers. Uh, and we had to lay some people off and spent the entire you know holiday season. Uh, just calling anybody that would anybody that would listen, you know, any investor that would take a meeting, uh, and just trying to raise you know emergency capital, which uh, is an an extra difficult fundraise. They're all difficult, but that one was you know particularly dark. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you sort of talked about self management. What was sort of your internal you know dialect? What did that sort of sound like in moments like that? I'm sure that one's different than it is even today, but How'd you get through it? Yeah, I think it's it's figuring out what actually motivates you, and and understanding, you know, what you think is important and what the real risks are. And I think it's it's easy to say in hindsight, but I do think it's true. You know, the biggest risk for us was really, uh, you know, missing paychecks, right? Our own paychecks, um, and we did and we did not pay ourselves, you know, multiple times throughout the years in order to pay employees. 
But you know, the risk is, is not if you do it well and as long as you treat your investors and your team with respect, you know, the risk is that you're not getting a paycheck. And I think the risk of, of failure is, uh, it, it's, it's scary, but you know, again, we're, we're fortunate enough to you know, live in the US. None of us are gonna, are gonna go hungry. We have friends, we have family. You know, so the real risk is missing a couple of paychecks. And I think thinking about it that way helps to, to manage you know, some of the, the fear around what you're doing. And then I think the next big thing is doing something that you're excited about, right? Doing something you're passionate about, that you care about. Uh, I don't know how else you, you get through the really you know, tough days other than caring about what you're doing. Because if you don't have conviction and, and passion in the, the idea, then it's just not, I, I don't know how else you would get excited about it. So I think, you know, being excited and then framing the downside in the most positive way was a lot of it. Uh, and it's, again, easier said than done, but that's sort of how Nick and I always kept each other going. Yeah, that's great. Um, I think one thing that is the public eye doesn't always get an idea of is sort of that what a CEO salary looks like as a VC-backed startup. Um, <laughs> you know, would you be, would you, could you even disclose what that even looked like the first few years? Was it really rough? <laughs> sure. It's uh it's pretty easy for the first year, maybe 18 months. It was nothing. Yeah. We just simply didn't have enough money to pay ourselves. So we were, you know, we were living off of our 401ks or, our, you know, and, and our savings. Uh, and then at some point on credit card debt. So we both ran up in addition to our student loans, even more credit card debt, which is not, not a you know pleasant experience. But again, had 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 enough conviction to keep going, and uh, had had each other to you know pick each other up on the the particularly bad days. Um, so two years in, call it, you know, we had raised enough money, and the business was big enough that you know we felt like we could look our investors in the face and and you know sort of ask permission to pay ourselves something. And I don't remember what it was, but it certainly was, you know, not six figures. Uh, so it's, it's, it's low, you know, I mean, it's something that you do. And, and this is all, you know, a particular kind of, of entrepreneurship. And I always, I, I, I think it's important. And I say this to a lot of people, you know, VC backed companies, right? Raising venture capital is some small fraction of the businesses out there. Uh, most people, you know, shouldn't raise venture money. Um, many of the best entrepreneurs I know aren't raising venture money. You know, they're building things that are, um, you know, either because they're able to fund it themselves because the business makes money or, you know, they've saved money in prior jobs or what have you, they're financing it other ways. Uh, and I think that that, you know, it, it forces a, a kind of creativity that sometimes gets lost when people just raise, you know, giant sums of money. So... You know, it's a it's a particular kind of entrepreneurship. Starting a company that you you know that loses money, that you raise money and you know invest more, and it's it's certainly not the only kind, um, but it it does come with a lot of uh, of trade offs and sacrifices. So tell us about a time when someone had a single action or they did something that created all the difference for you. Sure. <laughs> Again, I feel like this is a in a lot of ways, it's it's a myth because there aren't there are very few points where one thing you know actually changes all that much. You know, it's a version of it's it's rarely as good as people tell you or as bad as people tell you. I think that it's 
most of the time, you know, these successes are kind of, you know, they're, uh, they're, they're 10 year overnight successes, right? It's a lot of hard work until one day things, you know, appear to be, to be working. But certainly there were a couple of points. So to go back to, to the earlier story about, you know, almost running out of money, we had one investor in particular who was, you know, very, very supportive, who was willing to do things that were a bit, you know, unconventional to help us raise money you know, when we needed it, rather than just letting us go out of business, which is what a lot of investors would do, right? I mean, certainly on the, the downside or the you know, kind of negative side of raising venture money, you know, most venture capital firms expect something like a third of their investments to, you know, to go to zero, to go out of business. Uh, and you know, it's, not, it's, it's their business model. It's not a bad thing, you know, but they're not, you know, they're not there to throw good money after bad and, and keep businesses afloat that are going out of business. So it takes a, you know, a, a particular, and I think almost extraordinary amount of conviction for an investor to do that because they're you know, in some ways kind of crossing over and being an entrepreneur at that point, right? And risking more than you know, they're, they're really supposed to. So it's a- uh... That's great. <laughs> Thank goodness for them. <laughs> um, what advice would you give to other people wanting to start their own company that you wish you knew back at the beginning that it all started? <sighs> the problem with advice, the challenge with advice is that it's easier to get it from people than to actually use it, I feel like. So we got all this advice. I just don't know that we really listened to it. <laughs> uh, so it was, you know. Typical entrepreneur. Being clear on what we wanted, right? Like thinking about, did we want to raise venture money? Did we not, you know, uh, building a, a, a very strong team around us? And we did all these things over time, but looking back, I wish we'd done them faster and, and sooner. Um, you know, I think the, the biggest single thing is just to be, you know, really, really thoughtful about who you're partnering with. Uh, it, it's the it's the biggest reason that businesses fail. Um, and it's, you know, and, and even if it works, uh, there's there's nothing worse I can imagine than you know, being partnered with somebody that you are fighting with or don't get along with. Um, and you, know, you can't really. There's no, there's no great way to, to break up these partnerships in these kinds of businesses. There's no way to buy the person out or anything else. I mean, if you're in a venture-backed business and it's you know, growing and losing money, um, no investor will let you, you know, sort of buy the other person's stake. So you're kind of stuck with that person for five to 10 years. So tell me a little bit about your relationship with Nick, how, it sort of, how, how you think they complement each other in terms of your personalities. Nick and I are, are very different people, but also very good friends. And I think that's why it, it worked. You know, and I've, I started my other two companies with friends as well. So, you know, there's people that don't think that's a very good model or aren't, aren't fans of doing, of starting business with your friends. Uh, it's always worked for me. I think that when it works, there's, you know, nothing more fun than working with your friends and, you know, coming in every day and, you know, having the big wins and putting, you know, points on the board with your friends. So, you know, when it works, it's, it's, it's probably the best thing in the world. Um, but I think it is important to, you know, to think about it. And for us, part of that thought was, we are very different people. We have very different backgrounds. You know, I was a, a electrical engineer undergrad, uh, had done, you know, technical things in my you know, prior jobs. Uh, Nick was a, um, you know, liberal arts major undergrad and had done you know, more operationally oriented things. He was a Marine, um, you know, a bunch of other 
you know, experiences that were, you know, very, very valuable, but very different than mine. And I think that, you know, and, and we had the, the, the shared common experience of business school, which, you know, lots of, we spoke the same language in a lot of ways and, 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 and had known each other for, you know, four years at that point. Um, and we'd done enough, you know, serious things to feel good and, and confident that, you know, both of us would hold up well under pressure and, and you know, would be there for each other, uh, which I think is, you know, a, probably obvious, but very, very important, you know, part of starting a business. It's a stressful thing. You know, so him and I spent some time down in Haiti after the earthquake doing volunteer work in pretty grueling conditions. Uh, and it was a good way to, you know, have sort of a trial run of being in a stressful situation and, you know, kind of observing how the other person reacts. Yeah, that's good. Make everyone do that. You want to be a co-founder together? <laughs> go, go to a trip. Go to a disaster zone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like that. <laughs> and, it, and it's just good for people. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Um, you want to see real tough conditions? Go there. Um, let's go back to sort of this sense of community. Um, in terms of your, your work environment, in terms of HBS, in terms of your friends, how has this really shaped you and sort of your mental health as an entrepreneur? You know, I think it's, uh, it gets talked about a lot now and, and, it's, and it's, you know, maybe obvious, but it is really foundational. You know, I don't know how, I don't know how you live your life period without a, a strong community, uh, but certainly when you're going through, you know, stressful times, which the beginning of a business almost always is, you know, you need people who are there and, and play different roles for you, right? Like you need some people who will just let you vent and listen. Uh, you need people who you know, will be tougher on you and tell you what they actually think. Uh, you know, that, that's a, you know, sometimes a, a difficult thing to find. You know, you need, you need friends and family and, you know, investors or whomever. You need somebody to play the role where they'll just, they'll just tell you like it is and, and not, you know, tell you that everything is fine, everything's great, and what your, your, your product or your service is, you know, is amazing if it's not. Uh, and people don't always want to be that honest with you. Yeah, you need that hard truth. <laughs> so having, you know, ha having friends around you, community, you know, support systems, I think is, is critical. Um, and it's something you have to be thoughtful about, right? It, doesn't, it, it rarely just happens. So you have, to, it, you have to design it in a certain kind of way, right? Make sure that you have regular time for yourself, right? Um, making sure that you're being healthy in those stressful times, and then time dedicated to you know spending with friends or family or or whatever it is in your life that keeps you sane, um, and and finding you know even if it's an hour a week to do that can be hard, but I think is yeah. important. Making that time, I agree. I'm with you. Um, tell us a little bit about Albertsons, about how this you know how this developed the process and and now where you are and and your DNA and how it's, how it's changed. Give us a little, you know, walk in your shoes for the past year. A piece of advice that we got early on that I think was very helpful was to, to know our competitors and to know the landscape. So probably about a year into the business, we started reaching out and you know, making contact with all the major grocery retailers. And originally it was to get to know them and then also because we wanted to, to put our meal kits in you know, stores. Uh, so we spent, you know, a lot of time with a bunch of, you know, big brand name retailers pretty much from the beginning. And when it came time for, you know, our, our sale, uh, we were very happy that, you know, we kind of knew everybody. You know, we weren't out to sell the business. Uh, 
but the, the market got very challenging and we were still looking for a way to, you know, to, to do a distribution deal and put our meal kits in stores. We always thought that was a, a critical part of the business model and that online only wouldn't be enough. So, you know, we last summer, summer of uh, 2017, you know, we were talking to Albertsons about selling meal kits in their stores uh, and a bunch of things came together and, you know, kind of decided that it made sense to just tie up permanently. Uh, and at that point, you know, we, we knew all the other players. So, you know, we had, we had a viewpoint on what the other major retailers were good at, what they were bad at. You know, we had our own kind of internal checklist of, you know, looking for the people that we got along with and, you know, sort of chemistry with the management team and the right national footprint and some other kind of critical things so that when the conversations got really serious with them, you know, there was no, there was no hesitation, right? We didn't have to spend, you know, months and months and you know, sort of hire a banker and go through this big process that, you know, probably would have been a bad sign or, or you know, could have been, you know, insulting to our new, you know, partners now. Uh, so, I'm, you know, I was super happy that we followed that advice in the early days. Um, and it allowed the process to go really quickly. You know, I mean, it was only a few months from sort of start to finish uh, and let us hit the ground running and, you know, start launching in stores and doing all the exciting stuff. The deal's important, but... Was there ever a moment when you're like, oh my gosh, this is not going to go through? Did you have any of these freak out <laughs> moments where, you know, you felt that same fundraising mentality from the very beginning days come back? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we had we had multiple of them. And, and some of them probably were us just being on edge. Some of them were probably legitimate. You know, there's always that, you know, a deal is a process of figuring out where the, where the sort of boundaries are on both sides, right? What are... What are people willing to actually accept? And there's always a fear that, you know, you'll, you'll sort of cross the line and that it will be, you know, too much and they aren't willing to pay that price or accept that term or whatever the point is you're negotiating that day uh, and that, you know, somebody will just walk away. So didn't happen, but definitely had those moments and they're not fun. Well, we are all rooting for you. It's been, a, it's been an amazing ride, that's for sure. Um, as a, a friend and part of the Ivy community and family, what, what have you found, um, you know, an inspiring aspect about Ivy that you would sort of love to tell our viewers that as you, as you on go in, in your next journey and, and how you think community can help you and those around you? Well, you, you asked about community. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that I've heard from lots of Ivy members is, you know, it's a community everywhere. Right, so in lots of cities, which is nice if you're moving, uh, if you're you know new to a place or new to an industry, right? It's a network to to reach out to. You know, I think it really is in a lot of ways that you know sort of turnkey community uh, that helps people find their way, which is is really really important for uh, you know for all parts of your life and certainly for for the professional side. Who knows? Maybe someone at Ivy can find their next co-founder just as you did. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's happened already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it was so much fun to have you. For anyone who hasn't had the opportunity to try it, played it's incredibly good food. <laughs> I've I've been using it since I feel like the beginning. Yeah, thank and you. I it is actually the reason I can cook these days. So I would like to admit that. <laughs> Great. Training wheels just helps you with all those photos. So. Yeah, well, absolutely. thanks, Josh. It was so great to have you. Thanks, Julia. That's our show for the week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast. Don't forget, for more information about the Ivy community and to find out about live events happening near you, 
visit IV.com. That's I-V-Y.com. See you next time.